Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. Hi, this is David Jacobson with Positive Coaching Alliance, and I'm joined today by Jay Billis. Jay was uh, at one point a top 50 recruit from Rolling Hills High School in Rolling Hills, California. Had an amazing career at Duke University from 1982 to 1986, leading uh, the Blue Devils to national championship game. And since then, he's been widely known as a great color commentator and studio analyst for ESPN. Um, He's one of the most incisive and insightful commentators in the sport and has a law degree from Duke to boot. So uh, he comes at this from a lot of different perspectives, and I'm really, really happy you've been able to join us today, Jay. No, David, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to hear my college career was amazing. I thought it was rather uneventful. I didn't do very much, but it was just fun being there with the other guys. Um, well, let's let's talk about one of those guys uh, to begin with, a uh, member of our National Advisory Board, Tommy Amaker. Um, what, what do you remember of Tommy and, and uh, the, the character and everything that he brought to the game then and now as a coach? Well, I'm not sure Tommy's that much different uh, now uh, than he was then. He's He remains among my closest friends, and I first met him uh, in the early 80s when he was being recruited uh, by Coach K. He's a, a year behind me uh, in school, uh, so he graduated in 1987. And Tommy was an extraordinary teammate. He was a great player, uh, one of the best players, best guards in the country. And I think he and Johnny Dawkins formed one of the – one of the truly great backcourts in the history of the ACC, let alone uh, their time there. Uh, but I think Tommy was the the ultimate team player, uh, sacrificed his scoring for the good of the whole, and was very empathetic as a, as a teammate, always understood what everybody else was going through and uh, put others first. He was a great defender, a uh, great passer, uh, just a, an extraordinary teammate. Now, I don't think it's any... You know, any surprise to, to any of us, uh, the success that he's had, and it was it was no accident. Uh, none of none of his success has been an accident, but it was no accident that Duke started winning at the highest level when Tommy got there. Wonderful. Probably also no coincidence, um, especially given Coach K at the helm, that uh, you have achieved uh, such success in your career. Tommy at one of the top academic institutions available and Johnny Dawkins at another. Yeah, uh, that that's certainly been been uh been interesting. I mean, to have uh have your teammates that are coaching at at places like Stanford and uh and Harvard is really amazing. But, you know, if they had chosen to go other places, it wouldn't it wouldn't speak less of them. Uh it, it's not something where, you know, you you rank institutions by, you know, their uh, uh their academic uh standing. And that's how coaches choose jobs. May have had something to do with it, but I don't think it was the only thing. But both of them have uh, have always wanted to be associated with uh, with great people, and uh, there are great people at both Harvard and Stanford, and they they couldn't have better people uh, in charge of their basketball programs. I know that both Johnny and and Tommy are are great friends of mine and and extraordinary people. Wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Toughness, um, which was an amazing read. Um, how do you define toughness? Well, I think it's a, it's an intangible. It's it's your ability to uh, to meet challenges and overcome them uh, without shrinking from them. And you know, I think when you hear it in the context of of sports or basketball, it seems to have a lot of different meanings and and wasn't really defined for me. So it was a an interesting uh, journey uh, in in 
going to people that I knew and respected and asking them to help define it. And I, I certainly learned a lot from it uh, and from writing the book. And I wish it's an exercise I wish I'd gone through when I was 16. I would have been a better player. And I, I think I would have been better at everything if I had if I had given it that kind of thought back then. What uh, component of toughness, if you had known of at age 16, would have um, catapulted you in a different direction or anything like that? Well, I think the idea that uh, that toughness isn't just some you know your ability to to take pain or anything like that it it has to do with uh, with preparation and your mental concentration, your ability to work with others and you know Coach Kay said something I thought really profound as he often does. He said, uh, you know you're not tough alone, and uh, I think your ability to rely on your teammates and to be there for them, the fact that it's not um, you know, your success as a player is not due just to you, or an athlete, I should say, is not due just to you. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a, te- a quote-unquote team sport or an individual sport. I mean, even an individual sport, there's a, an incredible team component to it with the, the people that you work with, those that are in support positions, whether it's your trainer, your manager, your coach, whatever. There's nobody that goes through uh, any athletic endeavor uh, by themselves. And I think when you're more open to the collaborative process and you are uh, you're willing to admit uh, failure uh, and that that happens. I mean, there's no athlete, no person that goes through a successful career without uh, failures. And I think your your ability to uh, self-evaluate and face up to those failures uh, without rationalizing them or without making excuses or without blaming others. I think a lot of us are <laughs> through at different times in our lives are really good at pinning things on other people. Um, and and I think I think part of being a tough person is to be able to self-evaluate and say, here's where I failed, and to be able to pick yourself up and go back at it again. You talked a little bit before about not shrinking from a challenge, but sometimes, as you just said, you know, you get defeated or you or you get knocked down. Obviously, a component of toughness is getting back up. But um, is there any kind of specific way to drill down into toughness, and um, what is maybe the self-talk? That, that leads you to pick yourself back up? Well, I, I think it has to do with your, your mental attitude and your mental outlook. Uh, when you go into something, you know, I think you have to be tough to remain positive. Uh, when things are going wrong or you're having a difficult time, I mean, there's something I heard I heard recently with regard to the Special Olympics that I thought was really, really cool that I hadn't heard before. And it was the idea of of, you know, let me win but if I can't win, let me be brave in the attempt. And I'm probably misstating that, but 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 to be brave in the attempt. And I thought, how cool is that? You know, the idea of being brave in the attempt. Uh, that 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 was really moving to me. And you know, it's funny. I, I you know, my age now, my advanced age. Uh, one of the one of the only outlets I have for competition is golf. And I wish I had played when I was younger because I think it would have really helped my concentration, my ability to move on to the next thing even after, you know, some bad result, whether it's a bad bounce or a bad swing, whatever. And, you know, I, I remember playing and I had a caddy with me. I stepped up to the tee to a really difficult par three. And I said, man, this is a really hot, a uh, really difficult hole. And my caddy said without hesitation, not today and not for you. And I was like, how cool is that? Like, well, you know, I, I can do this. And so you step to the, I know I can miss. You know, you step over a free, you know, you step up to the free throw line. You step up to a a, a putt uh, on a, a, you know, you got a three foot putt. I know I can miss it, 
but I also know I can make it. So I'm going to, I'm going to concentrate on, on making it, understanding that I may miss. And if I miss, I got to accept the consequences of missing. And I'm willing to do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm attempting, I'm going to be brave, you know, bold in the attempt to make this, but you have to keep reminding yourself of that. And, uh, it's not for most people a natural state. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I think you can improve in all those things with your mental outlook and, concentration has a lot to it and your ability to move on to the next play. And, uh, and, you know, I think all of us are, are striving to do that without getting in our own way. And, uh, and a, a lot of, a lot of failure in, in any endeavor has to do with, with people getting in their own way. And I'm, I've, I've had that, I've faced that. I think most of us, uh, most, if not all of us have faced that. Well, I really like the story that you just told about your caddy. And in a way, I guess that, that caddy coached you at the moment. No so now when it comes to tough, when, when it comes to toughness in coaches, um, and sometimes maybe in athletes as well, it seems that you know the, the stereotype is it's all about who can yell the loudest or make the most threats or carry out the most threats. Uh, but real toughness, it seems, is like the underlying character that might even prevent that kind of behavior. Do you how do you respond to that notion? Well, there are a lot of different ways to do it. I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody raising their voice. The question is, what are you saying when you're raising your voice? Because you can scream at a player and say, you're the best player in this gym. Play like it. Well, that's a positive thing. So, you know, what difference does it make whether that's screamed or whether that's, you know, uh, uh, done w- with a whisper and a timeout in somebody's ear with a kiss blown a- at the person afterwards? It's not, you know, the delivery system. It's what you say. And, and the intent behind it, and I think most people kind of understand that. Uh, part of coaching uh, is to correct mistakes, but that's not all of coaching. And you know, Kevin Eastman, who uh, I mean, I don't know a better teacher in basketball than Kevin Eastman, uh, says all the time, "Catch him doing something right," and uh, and that's that's an important aspect too. I think players have to understand that you're there to help them perform. And at the highest level, and I think a lot of coaches, it's a, I think it's important for coaches to understand, and most of them do, not all of them, but most of them do, that the players are not there for them. You know, they're there for the players. And uh, when you when you have that, you know, have that understanding, and the players understand that the coach, you know, the coaching staff is there for them, uh, that they'll do anything the coaching staff asks. Um, I really believe that. Wonderful. And I love your mention of Kevin. Um, I, he's worked closely with Doc Rivers, who's on our advisory board as well. And I've always heard wonderful things about Kevin. There's nobody better. I mean, he is as pure of heart as anybody I've ever met in the game. And uh, talk about someone who does for others first and is uh, is totally dedicated to his craft. Uh, just an amazing person, an amazing coach. Great. Let's talk about another one of the of the, the amazing coaches, Coach K. Can you point to a couple things that that you felt uh, he really got home to you in terms of um, character? Well, I, one of the things I think Coach K did a great job of was was recruiting character. Uh, you know, my my teammates, the guys that I played with, and then I, I think the the overwhelming majority, if not all, the players that have come in afterwards have been of really high character. And so, um, you know, Coach K, I think, takes that and adds to it. But I don't, I don't think he's taking some raw material and taking no character and making character out of it. Um, he, he brings in great people. 
And I think he, with the the way he is, he attracts great people. And that that's that's been true from the very beginning. Uh, you know, I didn't know very much about him uh, when he started recruiting me uh, back in the uh, in the early '80s when he had first gotten to Duke. But I trusted him right away, and I recognized, uh, I think, the character that he possesses. And you know that that's never changed. I think uh, I think everybody now now I think when he recruits he comes in with uh, with a lot of he's got a lot of cred, <laughs> and, uh, but he he might not have had it back then. But he established it pretty quickly with each one of us individually with who he is, and I think who he is comes through very clearly from the very beginning. Uh, and you're not as it's not about his reputation or his uh, his credibility that he's built up over the years with all the banners and all the awards and all the wins. Uh, it, it's more about who he is that, that I don't think has changed. You know, the, 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 the character, as you put it, um, his core values, his principles, uh, the way he communicates those, I'm not sure that's that's changed very much over the years. Great. So it sounds like one of the really key things in terms of how a coach can teach character is just to be of high character him or herself. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that character begets character. I mean, if you're one of the, one of the things that really attracted me to Duke, uh, the thing that attracted me to Duke was coach K and, you know, after you are uh, around somebody like that and you go, you know what, this guy's not going to surround himself with knuckleheads. So wherever he is, my guess is there's going to be good people there. Because anytime you're you're making a decision, uh, you're you're really basing it on a few people, if not one, if not just one. And so, I mean, I I, I thought from the very beginning. I mean, I you know, Coach K, if if he's it, if he's there, it's a good place. If he's there, it's some somewhere I want to be. Uh, and I think if he had been somewhere else, who knows? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just speculating. But I think if he had been in another school and recruited me, I would have gone there. Now, I wouldn't have gone to just to just anywhere. But but my sense is if he had been somewhere else, uh, I would have gone there. Terrific. Um, in your role as a commentator, obviously, you get all over the country, meet lots of different coaches. Who are some of the others that uh, you feel are most uh competent at the kind of life skills, life lessons, character development aspects of coaching? Oh, God, I'd have, the list would be really long. There's so many great coaches out there. And not just I'm not just talking about, you know, wins and losses, but guys that you would want uh, your your son to play for. And that's one of the ultimate measures to me is, you know, and, and my, my son's a walk on uh, at he's going to start his uh, his his college career at, at Wake Forest and in the fall and, and, you know, Danny Manning would be at the top of the list of high character guys that uh, you're going to, geez, I'd want my son to be around that guy. And, uh, but whether it's Tom Izzo or Sean Miller, I mean, you're going to leave a, a million guys out. There are so many amazing people out there. Uh, Billy Donovan at, at Florida, who just, just left to go into the NBA. Uh, but you could, I could tick off a million guys that uh, that you're going, holy cow! Could you imagine playing for for him? Uh, and that's one of the one of the downsides, I think, of of having to make a decision on where you're going to go to where you're going to go to school because you can only play for one guy. And uh, you know, I would have loved to have played for for Roy Williams or uh, Lute Olson or um, uh, Jim Beheim, and I, I had the opportunity to play for for two of those guys. Um, 
but you can only choose one. And I'm I'm lucky that I you know kind of like the old uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. I chose wisely for me. I was very 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 fortunate. But there there are uh, amazing coaches out there that do a great job every day. And uh, just because you know you you have some that win championships and that are on the covers of magazines and get more headlines doesn't mean that the other ones aren't doing an amazing job in their own right, uh, in their own environment. Terrific. Now, it's uh, no secret that you're not a huge fan of the NCAA. Uh, in fact, there's a terrific headline um, from Bloomberg. Jay Billis has a Duke Law degree, an ESPN microphone, and an ax to grind with the NCAA. Now, I don't necessarily want you to um, go over everything that you see as an issue, but I do want to see – how those issues apply to the professionalization of youth basketball, where we've got national championships and player rankings for 10 year olds. Can you dip into that area for a bit? Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't take issue with, with people calling me an, an NCAA critic or the like, or saying I have a, I have an ax to grind that that's, that's fair game. And, you know, it's just something when you give your opinion and your opinion isn't always, you know, throwing rose petals at people's feet, uh, people are going to take, you know, take that tack, but, you know, I don't have an ax to grind with the NCAA. I mean, I, there are great people there. Uh, the NCAA has done, done a lot of wonderful things. Um, I don't happen to agree with some of their, their policies and especially some of the policies that are, are put forth that are and some of the rhetoric that is in absolute contradiction to the way business is conducted day in and day out, you know, College sports is a multi-billion-dollar business that's professional in every way, except how the players are, are treated. And so I have zero problem with any of the people. Uh, there are great people in college sports, in, in administration, and coaching, and the like. Um, but I, I think I think with regard to coaches and and uh, and administrators, it's really important instead of sort of waxing poetically about the way things used to be or the way things are supposed to be. Uh, we need to be very sanguine and honest about the way things are. And so we can say that, you know, the shoe company shouldn't be doing this or there shouldn't be agents or runners or, or all this stuff involved in the game. But we also have to acknowledge the reason those things exist. They exist because of the money and they exist because of the policies of the NCAA, which open things up for all of these things to happen. In other words, if the players could be rewarded financially for their services, we would have a, a, arguably a better system in that they wouldn't be, uh, quote-unquote, exploited by so many people. You know, the NCAA has a system that basically says nobody gets to exploit you until we do it. <laughs> and so if somebody else uses these players to make money, then it would be exploitation. When the NCAA does it, it's okay, and I don't think it is okay. Uh, I think we need to acknowledge that uh, that this is a gigantic business and that everybody is involved in this business not to somehow exploit players, but they're in it to make money. And one of the things, coaching salaries have gone through the roof, right? So you, you hear coaches complain about the way others act, but nobody's giving the money back. Nobody's saying, hey, wait a minute, we shouldn't make this kind of money because this isn't what this is about, when they talk about what this is about, they're talking about other people making money. And, uh, you know, so-and-so shouldn't be involved in this. Shoe company shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't have all these AAU tournaments that are charging us for, 
information and for you know in order to to gain entry to, to evaluate prospects this shouldn't be happening well i mean why is it okay when you're doing it that that would be my primary question is I, this is all business and and we ought to let the players uh take advantage of this business as well because not doing it is opening up you know pandora's box is already open and the players should be and and the 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 box that we all and the slippery slope that we all talk about we're already down the slippery slope and pandora's box is already open and we opened it when we started selling these players for billions of dollars as if they were pros if we wanted to run this like high school sports we should have but we're not doing it and if we go if we decide we're going to go back to the way it was a million years ago okay but we're not going to do that. People don't fold up multi-billion dollar businesses like that. And I think we need to admit what this is and start operating it as what it is. Well said. Thank you for that. This um, may or may not relate to the NCAA, but I would be interested in your assessment of youth basketball in this country, both in terms of um, player development and personal development. Um, Again, going back to character and life lessons and what messages are sent to that 10-year-old, um, you know, who, who is involved in that world or, or on the precipice of being involved in that world of runners and, and um, shoe companies and things like that? Well, I mean, it's a complicated issue because uh, we hark back to kind of the good old days when we were kids thinking how great it was, and it really wasn't that great. Uh, th- things are different now, but different doesn't mean worse. The players today are better than they've ever been. I mean, you could take the you know the the top 100 players uh, in 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 basketball, high school basketball today, and pit them against the top 100 players in basketball 30 years ago or 25 years ago, and it wouldn't be close. Today's players would win hands down. They're more skilled. Uh, they are are better in almost every way. Um, they are uh, far more advanced maturity wise um they are their nutrition is better they're far superior athletes uh they're better in every way now we lament that somehow you know they they've not had childhoods or they've not you know they they don't know how to play or all this ridiculous nonsense as far as i'm concerned but how can we have a multi billion dollar business and expect that things aren't going to ratchet up that people aren't going to strive to be a part of it and that's basically what's happening. So when you've got uh, when when people are striving to become better, it opens up avenues for others to kind of sell them on their ability to make them better. So now we've got individual work coaches that are individual skill development coaches that are that are everywhere. So players are paying a whole bunch of money to go get private instruction in addition to playing in their AAU tournaments, in addition to playing perhaps with their high school team during the summer, in addition to all the – so they're playing nonstop. That's all they do. But, heck, you know, I play a lot of golf. You go for lessons. I mean, we do the same things. And if there were – if there were, if if my, you know, amateur golf, like, you know, sort of my weekend golf were a multibillion-dollar business, you can bet I'd be taking more lessons. <laughs> and so we can't we can't imagine that that's not the reason why. Uh, it's kind of like uh, you know, college admission has become more competitive. So you're seeing students do more than ever in order to try to get uh, get into the the better institutions. It, it's happening in every walk of our life, and uh, so this shouldn't come as any surprise. And 
you know, it's funny. I tweeted something out the other day about someone who had made an all-star team at the Phenom camp. And I got this response saying, isn't it, ir- you know, isn't it irresponsible for to call something like that the Phenom camp to put into the minds of a, of a kid uh, that, that, you know, they're going to be a Phenom. And I, I almost started laughing. I'm like, really? That's the name of the camp. And, you know, when I was in high school, I went to the Sports World Superstar Camp. You know, so the idea things were better back in the day. They weren't. It's the same. Um, you know, there's just more. There's more dollars uh, behind it, and when there's more money behind it, uh, you're going to see this stuff. And we also have to acknowledge that the reason that that there are all these people out there that are doing all this stuff, they're doing it because these players are valuable commodities and assets, and that's why people are trying to to uh, do deals with them whether it's, you know, we use said agents and runners and all that stuff. But but people are trying to get uh, in with these kids, shoe companies, colleges. Uh, they're trying to get in with them because they're, they're valuable assets that can be of benefit to whomever they play for and, uh, and wherever they play. So uh, we have to acknowledge that as well. This is not, this is not just kind of I'm running a camp and I need to get, you know, uh, uh, 200 paying customers to come to my camp this summer. This is, we need to get these guys at, at camp so we can sell shoes. We can do this. We can do that. We can sell this. We can sell that. That's all it is. Well, it's a tremendously real world view of things. And I appreciate you sharing that with our audience today. Jay, it's been wonderful speaking with you. I appreciate the time and all the uh, wisdom that you share with us on the air. And I look forward to seeing you quite a bit this fall and winter. Well, I don't know if it's wisdom, but but thanks for your kind words, and it was a pleasure being with you, and thanks for all you're doing for the game. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.